I was just going to give Saeed a motivational speech before we started, so I don't... I think you should still do it, Ali. I'm still going to do like, it right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, okay? yeah. Just apply it on okay. everyone. Okay. Saeed, imagine this, man. Yeah. Out of all the podcasts, dude, how many podcasts are there? How many podcasts are there? How many podcasts have ever existed? Thousands of them, even tens of thousands, right? Millions, actually. Millions, exactly. exactly. And think of how many podcasts are going to come after us, dude. Yeah. Infinite, right? 100%. Imagine this. The best podcast has not been existed yet. The best podcast has not been created yet. You know why? Because we're here to create it. Because we're doing it as we speak. The most infinite, most epic podcast has yet to be born. And it is our lane to take it for ourselves. Just imagine that, Saeed. Imagine how beautiful the world is that we exist. Wow. Thank you, Ali. The, you've uh, inspired my cold heart. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's been great. <laughs> As you can see, my reactions are always so terrible at these things. <laughs> I really felt Just... a lot of emotion, actually, Saeed. That was really, <laughs> really moved me. Just imagine it. Imagine it, dude. Anything's possible. I, whole, I wholeheartedly... The best you. public speech has yet to exist, dude. Imagine that. The best public speech, you have the, be- the, the most famous speeches out of all of existence, dude. Yeah. You have Martin Luther King, JFK, right? Obama. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. Wow. Kanye West. Ali the Professor. (laughs) We didn't have a TED Talk yet. Saeed, we got to get him a TED Talk. We're we're trying. We're still trying on that. It's a work in progress. (laughs) Yet to exist. But we got to put him up in some like, you know, uh, what's it called? You know, when stand up comedians just do like on the spot shows, got to do something like that for him first. Improv. Got to build up his repertoire. I see. You got to practice it live. Wow. Well, thanks, Brendan, for your time. Yeah, it's um, good to be here, guys. Sorry for Brendan, that. What's, whole the, what's rant. your. Uh, you no, know, it's okay, Ali. That's a, it's a good rant. But I want to ask Brendan, what do you think is the best speech uh, or public speaking conversation that's existed? It's it's tough, right? There's so many good ones to pick from. But if I had to choose one, I would say Tony Robbins' speeches in general. I think the guy is the goat of this industry. Like, he's known. He is known for, and I didn't believe him. I thought he was lying, where he speaks for 12 hours straight with no bathroom breaks. But then I went to see him in person give a workshop, and I was like, oh, my God, this guy is not joking. He's really enthusiastic. So, yeah, he's, he's hard to beat. Wow. wow. Bro, 12 hours without taking a bathroom break. Like, he's got to be constipated in the, towards the end or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's, there's got to be something. Something's <laughs> up. I mean, you should, you should guys. I don't know if you guys have seen him speak before, but you, de- you definitely should. I mean, now he doesn't do it as much anymore, like the, mm. the whole twelve hour thing, because he's sixty three years old now. But for yeah. most of his career, yeah, he just kept going on and on. It was crazy. Wow. Okay. So, what is a public speech? What is a public speech? What is I mean, public I- speaking? Yeah, yeah, that that that's good, Ali. So, so my definition of public speaking and communication is largely the same, which is how do we convey an idea in a way that achieves a specific outcome for a specific audience? So, I'll repeat that again. 
how do we convey an idea in a way that achieves a specific outcome for a specific audience? So that could mean a bunch of different things. That could be Martin Luther King's speech of I have a dream or the goal is to convince the audience that we need to elevate the standards of the black community to match the same level of standard of living as the white community, let's say. But it could also mean convincing your significant other to get Chinese food tonight instead of Mexican food. That's also communication because you're conveying an idea that helps people achieve an outcome based on the audience you're speaking to. That's my definition anyways. Wow. Okay. So let's do a bit of a role play. Said, um, I know you want to get Chinese food, but I want to get yeah. a burger. Okay. Let me do this. Um, Said, Yeah, I know, man. Um, I want to get Chinese food. No. What do you want to eat Ali, tonight? I, I want to get <laughs> I want to get Chinese food. Like I'm in the mood for something sweet and sour. Wait, what about me, what? guys? I'm hungry too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Brendan, Brendan I... is the, the phone <laughs> is the phone operator. We'll call him for the. <laughs> it's like this is pretty racist. Like I want some food too. I want, I, I want a burger. I want a. <laughs> What is this? <laughs> I give the tip and you guys go, yeah, you don't get any food, Brendan. Let's just... I'm give you a, a like a slice of the pizza if you'd like. That's that. pizza. You guys are choosing between burgers or something. Burgers Chinese and Chinese food. food. Where, yeah. Okay. Where are you guys getting pizza? <laughs> so, Saeed, you're really into Chinese yes. food. I understand, but you know, I've worked really hard today, and um, I have a guest on the podcast that I'm really excited for, and. Yeah. Burgers just put me in the right mood and the right vibe for it. Okay. Is so, Ali, okay? I want to ask you, based on that, what is your energy level at the moment after this end of the, at, uh, at the end of the day? Like, on a rating, on, like, a percentage-wise, if you can give it that to me. <laughs> like, how Ali just like... I'm confused. <laughs> right? question. I thought we were talking about food deliveries, but yeah, exactly. Um, wait, wait. My... Stick with me, oh, stick with me. Don't in, worry. I'm, I'm in the, the argument. God, we're still In the conversation. <laughs> yeah, 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 we're still real um, Yeah, I would say um, towards the end of the day, I'm at like 20 to 30% because I've done my working out. I've done all my hmm. um, activities. I'm ready. I'm done to relax yeah. and unwind. And, you know, I like lifted and I did Taekwondo. And so yeah. I deserve something meaty. Chinese food is too carby for me. You know, it's not part of my goals. And okay. I would hope that we can align our goals and get burgers and the diner is right here. So maybe we can get something mm -hmm. else that you like because they have a lot of different kinds of foods at the diner that you might enjoy too. Well, Ali, I will choose to cover the other 70% for the relationship that we have. And I will agree with you and we'll get the burgers. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Brendan. Now critique that. Yeah. Yeah, that was horrible. But so <laughs> there was a lot of racism because I wanted burgers too. <laughs> I wasn't offered anything. Oh. The, se the second piece, Ali, is your conversation's too focused on you. You're like, mm. oh my god, like I want burgers. I'm so cool. I'm tired. And people make this mistake not just in mm. friendships, but in romantic relationships too, where they mm. always make conversations about them. Well, I want I want this because I like it. Versus going. Hey, Saeed, how about we get burgers tonight? I know they have your favorite french fries at the diner and dinner's on me. What do you think? Wow. So notice how like I make it about us. I make it about him, actually, before I even make it about. So I never even bring up the fact that I even like burgers. 
I always go, hey, I think we should go to the diner because I know they have your favorite meatloaf and French fries. And the first the first round's on me, man. I got you tonight. What do you think? So I don't go, oh my god, I like burgers. We're totally going to get burgers. <laughs> I'm lo- You don't tell me what to do, Saeed. We're going to get burgers. You don't have any choice. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's an example okay, of... Okay, okay. Ho- hopefully you guys aren't married or else it's going to be tough. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a long-distance relationship. <laughs> long-distance <laughs> All right. Brandon. No, I, I didn't meet with each other. I met like individual, unless you're gay, which I don't. I don't want to judge these. I mean, it's 2023. You don't on Zoom. Know. Yeah, doing a podcast. First calling us Zoom. racist, and now he's being yeah, homophobic. Oh. It's okay because I'm, I'm, in, I'm Indian, so it doesn't matter. We're all accepting. I'm a brown guy. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Uh, Brendan from Master Talk. All right. So tell us about first impressions. Um, what was your first impression of us? And. Um, how do we deliver the best first impression? The first impression of you, Ali, was really around, what are you the professor of? That was my first thought. Mm. So I wasn't really sure. Are you like a... I mean, you look like a physics professor, but <laughs> you got like a two in the back. And I was thinking, I was just like the Arab uh, Einstein or something. That was my <laughs> first impression. Okay, not bad. Syed's first impression was more around commitment. I was like, wow, he's coming at 9 p.m. to do this interview. So that was my first impression. So how do you how do you make them better? I I would say for me, it really comes back to making the person feel seen, heard and understood. And it's a lot easier to do this in person, obviously, than virtually, Mm -hmm. where you go up to them, you smile and you ask them about their life. So that's that's what I would uh, I would focus on with first impressions. So Brendan, would oh, you wow. choose burgers or Chinese? That's see, that's a meaningful question. I <laughs> I like both. I honestly, I actually had both in a week at some point, but uh, but I, I, if I had to pick one, I really like a Chinese food a lot more. Yeah, yeah, definitely more variety and just like flavor, man. Just it's just flavor. It's just good flavor. You gotta tasty. yeah. All right, Brendan, we're here to learn from you. Seriously, you have the knowledge. We want the knowledge. So this is a good way to <laughs> transmit it. So this the professor wants to learn, bro. One of <laughs> one of the the problems is side sometimes cuts me off, and sometimes I cut side. <laughs> okay, how do we avoid doing that? Well, I don't think that's necessarily an issue, actually, because mm. that's the intention of the show, where it's more about being entertaining and and educational. So if you guys cut each other off, it's not necessarily bad. I think what you want to avoid is cutting each other off when you're in the middle of a joke. That you wanna you don't wanna do. And you guys haven't done that so far since the beginning of the show. So I think it's fine. Just don't interrupt if you if you guys are married or have, have wives or something <laughs> or girlfriends or boyfriends. Don't don't cut them off or else uh, you're gonna be in trouble. And the way you do this is just by listening to them and waiting for them mm-hmm. to stop for like two or three seconds. I, I usually wait an extra two or three seconds before not like in this type of conversation, but with somebody else, let's say in private, where I wait for them to stop talking for like two to three seconds, and then I talk so I know that I'm not interrupting them. So would you gotcha. use that for someone who's just continuously speaking, for example, and doesn't know when to stop? So that's a different problem, which is, uh, why are we talking to this person? So that's one of <laughs> We've got to give them the feedback sometimes. And then the, the other piece to that is, is if it's a, somebody that you love, there's a way to interrupt them in a way that's healthy. So you could say something like, let's say they're talking and it's been like 15 minutes or like 10 minutes. You could say, hey, I really appreciate what you said about X. And that, and the, and I really like that because so you interrupt with a compliment. You don't interrupt mm-hmm. by going, hey, you talk too much. You go, <laughs> like, 
you're still doing it, but you're doing it differently. So it's like, so let's say I wanted to interrupt Ali. I would say, hey, Ali, I really liked your share around burgers. I love burgers too. They're so good because of blah, blah, blah. And I, so I just took the conversation from him. But because I did it from a point of a compliment, Ali doesn't feel like I stole the show. Oh. Mm, okay. I see. Just so like you're appreciating their presence and then indirectly in telling them, like, I think your time is up. And it's a great point that you mentioned that, Said, about your time is up. Exactly right. So notice how I kind of interrupted you with the compliment, just to demonstrate that a little bit. But you were done speaking, too. Oh. You get the idea. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the nice point that you made, Brendan. point you yes. guys made. This is a great <laughs> this point. This is more of an interactive around. podcast. <laughs> it's a, it's a more of a different format than I'm used to, so I'm just adapting as we're going. <laughs> So um, what is the format that you're used to? Usually it's it's pretty boring, actually. That's why I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah! Anyway, Woo! <laughs> uh, we're excited to have Brendan on the show. Brendan, so my first question to you is, where does the idea come from, Master? I was like, bro, I've been on like 500 podcasts. Just look it up. It's already there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what about, that was a nice point you made, and we don't like to repeat other people's questions. Thank you for calling us funny. We appreciate it. You guys um, actually, I like it. How did we? How do we um, prepare for a speech? So, right before this, I was doing that. I was doing that over and over because one, it makes my voice loud. Two, it helps me uh, pronunciate and enunciate and articulate. Um, yeah. What do you think about those texts? I mean, I techniques. like that. Just try, just try a different tone every time. So instead of going. Ah, ah, Try, <laughs> try, just try different sounds. There you go. I like that. You can feel like it now. Opera. It's good. I, I feel something. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's good or bad. But, it definitely but, uh, wakes it, you up. It it creates a different yeah different sensation for sure in terms of. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, preparing for a speech, the the way that I approach it is you always start with the key idea, right? Like what what are we trying to achieve? What is the goal? So if the key idea is to convince people they can be great speakers, that's the key idea. And then what you do is you practice like a jigsaw puzzle. So you guys, you guys, you know jigsaw puzzles, right? You got like pieces yeah. put together in a box. So so I'll, I'll throw guys the question: If you work on a jigsaw puzzle, which pieces do you start with, and why? I don't know There's if this something. was a rhetorical question or... Oh, I'll, I'll give you guys... You guys this seem like you know the answer. Great question. This is a great <laughs> question. I know okay. what the answer is. You start with the corners. You start with the edges, and then you build uh -huh. your way into the middle. You got it, to Mr. The Professor. Core. Why is that? Why is that? Um, because you there are only four corners. Once you have the corners established, you're able to connect the corners... They're easy to locate. They're easy to discriminate. And once you have that foundation, you have a, an outline, a skeleton of a picture, and you can fill it in and continue doing so. And it makes it I mean, faster. That was like the perfect answer to the question. Good job. Points for Ali. Right? So exactly, <laughs> right? So why am I bringing this up, guys? Because when we prepare for presentations, unfortunately, we do the opposite. We shove a bunch of content. Then throughout the whole presentation, we ramble through and then the last slide sounds something like this. Uh, blah, thanks. Yeah. And that's not what we want to do. 
So how you want to do it is practice the edges first, like a jigsaw puzzle. Do the introduction like 10 times or 15 times, which seems like a big number, but the intro is like two minutes. Then do the same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with the terrible ending? Last time I checked terrible movie, like like TV shows mm. like Game of Thrones. Then work mm-hmm. your way in the middle. That's it. Oh, wow. That's so genius. So work on the introduction, work on the conclusion, and let the bits fall in between. You got it. It's it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's genius. I got lucky. I was coaching a five-year-old on public speaking, and <laughs> I was coaching <laughs> on this call, and she goes, uh, Mr. Brendan, uh, what's a presentation? And I go, shit, okay. Uh, I guess it's introduction, middle, and a conclusion. And then she follows up with, uh, Mr. Brendan, what's an introduction? What's a conclusion? <laughs> and then I was like, shit, okay, what do I do? So I'm literally looking around. And I see a bunch of jigsaws on the floor. There's like a puzzle on the floor. And I was like, uh, public speaking is like a jigsaw puzzle. She's like, I love puzzles. And I was like, okay, how do I make this shit work? And I was like, oh, well, the edges in the middle. And she's like, oh, I get it. Edges of the puzzle. And then that the epiphany came at the right time. That's how I figured out the tip. That was a pretty like on your like a very improvised kind of thought process. And it was and it worked out like like I like how you just directly you know, stood on your feet and gave that answer quickly to her and she directly realized. Yeah, I don't get lucky a lot of the times, but that was one of those moments where it worked out for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Would you say you learn by doing? Like you learn public speaking through practicing and teaching it? I would say almost 100% of of it is... uh, is doing. I actually have a convection that I have to fix this year. I still haven't read Dale, Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, <laughs> just, which is weird because I'm I'm like one of the. I mean, I'm not one of the top guys just yet, but I'm pretty up there at this point. And I still haven't read the book because I'm so bad at books. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my my teachings was when I was in college. You guys, I was teaching a lot of people on communication. But I have a bachelor's degree in accounting, which is really the opposite of what I teach today. So a lot of the way that I learned was through practice. I would make a ton of mistakes coaching people. They go, I'm not getting any better. And I was like, okay, how do I fix this? And then I start fixing the problems. And then over time, I, I grew into who I am today. Wow. So would you say at one point you were awkward, right? I know you've said you've, you're introverted, but would you say, what was it like for you, let's say in high school, middle school, um, were you like... Like talking to girls and such. <laughs> hey, How did that go like for girls. you? Or guys in this case. I mean, it's 2023. <laughs> things are yes. Thing, thing, things are changing now. But yeah, so so in my case, so I'm not really introverted. It's more the fact that I was really awkward as a kid because I grew up in Montreal in Canada. So for those who are listening and don't know, Montreal is a city where you need to learn to speak French, mm. which is a language I didn't know. So my parents sent me to French school to learn it, but I didn't know the language. So my whole life, I was presenting and talking to people in a language I didn't know. So I was like, uh, bonjour, tout le monde. And I was just really bad at French. Now I'm fluent, but at the time, it was really bad. And I've got, I got a crooked left arm, too. So I got like a little physical disability here. That's, that it's very, it's very well hidden on my YouTube channel. But, but yeah, so that, because of that, I struggled a lot with, with speaking. Actually, I'm kind of surprised that I became a communication coach. That's why I was like to say it chose me because I wanted to be an accountant, right? It's literally the opposite yeah. of, of what a communication professional is. But yeah, 
That's what happened. It, so it sounds from all of these things that like the 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 experiences you've had to build this skill set. Sorry, the skill set in communication. It shows that you like to take a lot of risks. So would you identify as a risk taker then? I mean, I see where you're coming from, Said. Like, definitely. Yeah. Like, because uh, a lot of people are scared of public speaking. So there's definitely... And I've taken some risk. I wouldn't call myself a risky daredevil. I'm super scared of heights. Like, when I was in the mm -hmm. CN Tower in Toronto, it's like this big tower. There's a, there's, a, there's a feature in the tower called the glass ceiling. So it's like it's a glass ceiling where you walk over it and you can see the bottom. <clears throat> like you can see the bottom, like the road and the streets. And my cousin, just to mess with me, starts jumping up and down on the glass and I start freaking out. I was like, we're all going to die. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really scared of heights. I'm skydiving too scares the living shit out of me. So yeah. and, and even when I quit my my job to pursue this full time, I had like seven months of savings. I lived in my mom's basement. Like I took very little risk. But in in communication, I'm I'm a big risk taker. But in every other area of my life, now I'm probably at worst, honestly. And do you mm -hmm. believe that for people to develop this confidence in public speaking, for them to be able to communicate better with strangers or people they already know, and just to constantly become better communicators, should they also take risks in general or it doesn't need that much yeah my opinion Saeed is a the perception is that you're taking a lot of risk that's mm -hmm. the external perception oh my god you have to take so much risk but in reality it's not really that much risk like how much risk did you guys really take to start this podcast like, did you give up on everything like no, no. <laughs> <laughs> right you gotta just put a suit on call yourself the professor and said okay let's <laughs> let's Let's just start it. Pretty let's much. Just, let's just start the show and and figure it out. So yeah. so that's that's what happened, and which is fine. Which proves the point. You don't need to take a lot of risk, but the key is just to take little risks that feel big at the beginning. Like when I started, when I posted my first video, I was scared out of my wits. I was like, "Oh my god! Like, people, what are people going to think of me? People think I'm a loser." Blah blah blah. But then later on in life, you're like, "Who cares? Like, it doesn't matter." Yeah. So the, the advice is to start small. So I'll give you an exercise I do called the random word exercise. You take a word like phone or camera or copper or headphones, and you just create random presentations out of thin air. And you do that for 60 seconds. Just do that a few times a day, and you'll mm -hmm. get pretty good at speaking really quickly without having to jump off a tower or do, it, do skydiving or anything crazy like that. I completely agree with that point because, like, that's you literally took the point from my head. The when you said small risks, and small risks, I believe build a more a more consistent and successful foundation. Fo oh my god, sorry, I I've been outside a lot today, so the sun has just been killing my voice. I don't know how that works, but it works. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is the UK sun different? Than <laughs> it is scorching hot here, man. It's scorching hot. But back, I'm digressing. Back to the point I was trying to make was I agree with the, the small risks part because I feel like it builds a better foundation for people with just being consistent. Because when people just dive into, you know, like head on into like major experiences that can, you know, either make it or break it and take these risks that they should not necessarily make, if they think that it's something they can do consistently. But the issue with that is, when you build that illusion in your head, you're you're probably building up yourself to f fail because 
even if you succeed, yes, you will succeed big time. But if you try again and again, and then you fail, you will also fail big time. And But doing the small risks, in my opinion, will build a more consistent basis for you to continue on. Love it. You explained it pretty well. <laughs> Thank you. Except for the voice cracks. <laughs> so um, stay inside Brandon. for a few days. Go ahead, Ali. What has karaoke taught you about life in public? <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. The conversation has begun. Yeah, what is what has karaoke taught me about life? I mean, I think the the big thing. Usually, people ask me what's karaoke taught me about public speaking, but life is is realizing that you don't need a lot to be really happy. You know, people people think that uh, you need a, a big rocket ship and you need to be a billionaire, you can go to space. And all those things are pretty cool, don't get me wrong. But but I think for me, like how I got into karaoke, which is super random, is when I was in college, most of my friends were in the Asian community because I played this game called League of Legends as a kid. I was hey. like, super obsessed. <laughs> yep, super... we all did. Seriously. Yeah, I was like... And and I was the whole package. Like I, I mean, I would play in tournaments. I oh, wow. would. I, I ran an esports club. I would watch the championships every single year with a bunch of friends. Like it was a whole thing. I, I don't game anymore, but but back then that was my life. And because of that, most most people. I mean, it's not to be racist. Just most of them are Chinese people or Japanese people. So they're they're all my friends. So one day they asked me. I was playing video games like six p.m. They're like, "Hey, do you want to go out tonight?" I was like. Yeah, where are you guys going? Like uh, to a bar or something? They go, no, 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 we're going karaoke. I was like, what are you talking about? They go, yeah, we're just gonna sing. I was, like, I don't know how to sing. They said, yeah, it's okay, just come. And I said no the first few times, but after the seventh time they asked, I was like, might as well go. And then I'm sitting in this booth with like ten other Asian people, and they start putting up songs like in Chinese and Korean. They start singing in different <laughs> languages. I was like, well, this is pretty cool. So then I go home and I start practicing these different languages, and that began my, my my lifelong passion in karaoke. I think today I can karaoke in eight different languages. I'm on. I'm trying to learn the ninth one now, but I don't. By the way, I'm not fluent in these languages. I'm fluent in three, but I can karaoke in eight. Yeah. So yeah, just have fun with the simple things in life. I have so much fun with the karaoke, and it doesn't cost that much money. Wow, um, Brendan. <laughs> I have a. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> what the hell is that? He's, he gets just... sometimes overwhelmed. It's, it's okay. <laughs> not it's overwhelmed, something. but sometimes, you know, like what you said is so like um, true, and it resonates with me deeply. And um, it makes me upset that so many people are upset and anxious, and you know, on medications, depressed, suicidal, all these things, and um, you know while it, it doesn't take that much to be happy it's the little things that make you happy you know and oh, i'm yeah. that's what i love for this podcast to be the kind of like antidote to all the the mental turmoil you know that everyone's suffering through really and just for you to say that hey you know like just do some karaoke it's fun it's simple and it'll make you happy Wow. 100%. There's even what? an exercise you can do called the bliss list. So the mm -hmm. bliss list is like a list of all of the small little things that bring you joy. So nothing big. Nothing like uh, go to Mount Everest or something or go to Nepal for a week. But it's more like uh, yeah, ordering $5 churros at your favorite restaurant. 
uh, getting a tiramisu at an Indian Italian restaurant nearby for seven bucks. As you can tell, like desserts a lot. Dancing in between uh, meetings, I do that all the time. I go, I go night clubbing a lot. I mean, not a lot. Maybe once a quarter, maybe once every four months. But I don't drink, so I just pay the cover fee, which is like five bucks, and I have the best workout, and I go home. So there's there's that. <laughs> so just putting that a little bit more in your schedule is just such an easy way to be happier in general. Yeah, and I'm not sure. Uh, I checked. I'm also in one of your videos, and you said, and you going back to the karaoke point. And I like how you mentioned it helps with your articulation. And I want to understand the, the influence of articulation on public speaking. You know, like, what is the impact of it and its, its effect on, you know, people listening to you? It's funny, out of all the research you guys could have done, it was like, <laughs> let's find the karaoke video. Like, why? <laughs> I think that's so funny because you asked the question so seriously. So, Brendan, I was studying your video on the three lessons you learned from Kira, and you mentioned about articulation. Can you just elaborate on that for the? <laughs> okay. I'm, taking, I'm taking my notes, bro. I'm just like you know, it's like Brendan, the professor. Please just like educate. you're like a, you're like some historian who's gonna study me a hundred years after I'm dead and say, you know, and Brendan Kumar Sami first drew the analogies between boxing, fish sauce, and public speaking. He talked about <laughs> that's funny. Anyways, yes, you're right, Sayed. So, so the reason uh, karaoke helped me a lot with articulation, which I found out later, by the way. Not, mm-hmm. not in the moment. I wasn't doing karaoke and thinking, oh my goodness, oh my goodness gracious, my pronunciation is improving dramatically. I should do this more. It was more after, I, after the fact. Is when you pronounce words in languages you don't understand, it automatically improves articulation in the ones that you do understand. So if I say something in Italian like, buongiorno, come stai molto bene, Eli, which just means, hey, how are you? I'm good, you? Or in Japanese, ohayo gozaimasu genki desu ka, which is, hi, good morning, how are you doing today? So notice mm. I'm switching languages pretty seamlessly, but I am not fluent in in Italian or Japanese, but my pronunciation is correct for those, so those small words I cherry-picked. So when I go back to English, that's why when I enunciate words in this language, it's really easy for me to go back to English because I know the language well. So that's that's the that's the unintended benefit of doing karaoke. I, I resonate with this point because, so I'm fluent in two languages, and but I can speak, like I understand a bit of French and German. I'm not very good at them, but whenever I communicate with like French people or German people, my my pronunciation is correct, and there I don't have much of an accent, and I notice like their reaction to that is like they're joyful, you know, like someone who's not from their country actually. Who, who might not know the language that well, but is saying the words correctly. It's like right. they're kind of impressed and they're they're happy that they're meeting someone like that. So it it really elevates the communication between us and then the whole the whole interaction. I agree. Like same thing when I went to Italy. This was ten years ago at this point. Like I practiced Italian for a few weeks to the point where I could convince somebody that I was Italian, even if I knew like ten words. Like wow. I remember this, uh, like where is the bank? I remember it's at some Ferrari store, not not because I could afford a Ferrari, it's just a store. So I just watch, I take pictures, and I leave. <laughs> and I don't buy anything. <laughs> so I want to make sure I'm alive here. So so I'm walking to the store, and I don't know where the bank is. 
So I go up to the, the woman, I go, Dove in la banca, which is like, where is the bank? And she goes, this is, this is, and I'm just like, <laughs> and then she goes, she goes, oh, good? And I go, excellent, bellissimo. <laughs> and I had no idea what she said, but I found the bank, it was nearby, but <laughs> yeah, that was, I get it. Wow. Um, Brendan, I'm going to like dive in real deep right now for the audience listening to this might change your life. Public speaking can change your life. Communication can change your life. Whew. Okay. So let me give you a bit of a background here. I'm a behavior analyst is what I do for a profession. And my uh, focus is language. I teach like mostly people with autism who don't know how to speak. I help teach them how to speak. And more than just articulation of words, um, when people learn how to speak, I found out by accident that they actually learn how to think. And the better they speak, the more they think and the more um, it's like self-actualized they become, you know? they reach a higher frequency, not just in speech, but in thinking. And I never realized that thinking is just internal speaking. When you know how to speak, you can learn how to think. Why? What's your opinion on all that that I shared? Uh, yeah. That was powerful. Powerful, Ali. I love that. And thanks for the work that you're doing. That's awesome. I've worked with a couple of kids with autism too in my career. So it's, it's really powerful when you get to hear them speak and share ideas. And and for me, I think the simple, the, the way that I describe what you said in, in a broader scope is communication is an accelerant of dreams. It doesn't really matter what your dream is. Communication helps you accelerate that dream. So I'll give an example. If you want to get promoted at work, then having better communication skills will make it much easier for you to interview for roles, get a promotion, and realize most people in leadership roles have have great communication. If you want to start a business and you know how to communicate better, it's a lot easier to close deals, easier to make money, and you can do what you love full-time. So that's the benefit for that. But also being a great parent. If you are an exceptional communicator, you can deal with conflict resolution better and you can teach your children better ways of resolving conflict so they show up as better examples for for people in society so you're right ali i think i think communication is the is the is the rope that ties everything together and that's why by the way i'm so passionate about master talking what i've done in my career and with just providing this stuff for free is like this shit should be available for free like why isn't this taught for free and accessible to everyone yeah for sure i'm going to coach some people privately who'll pay me the big bucks but i should definitely make it a point to share all of this stuff with everybody before i die and because of how important it is because it makes your life better but i loved your the way you thought about the relationship between speaking and thinking i haven't spent enough time thinking about that but not to use a pun here but it's <laughs> it's it's true like i don't i don't really think enough about that so i need to dig deeper but you're right like if you're a better communicator in general you i i, I definitely tend to believe you're right where you think better in your head your thoughts become more specific and that allows you to make better decisions so good tie in there as well wow what do you think about that side so yeah the um going on that point i really feel like that can be co correlated to multiple different activities. 
basically just it's not only language it can also be something physical or it could be something that you social um well which is basically also talking but what do you mean so for i feel like it has to do with just building some sort of discipline you know and communication is a type of discipline for the mind while you can also do similar things for the body which can improve your and ele- elevate your thinking and I remember we I mentioned this on the on a previous podcast where if you combine both the disciplines that you get from you know your your body and then the ones that you get from your mind and combine them that's when you get like the the most you you can reach the highest potential of yourself you kind of have to combine them in a way so that you find the balance and truly achieve your the the best form of yourself love it thank you <laughs> i guess <laughs> i'm interested that... in um uh said don't mean to call you off that was an interesting point i would like to elaborate on that mm-hmm. um so let's talk about discipline in terms of communication and speech i'm always curious cuz in your videos you say yeah me and my friend we practice this together we just talk back and forth and we practice pausing or we practice these random word exercises um how do you find someone to do that with you right absolutely yeah great point ali so so there's different ways that that we would approach this right i will admit that in my case my advice to, like what happened to me can't be applicable to everyone else because I got lucky. You know, when I was in college, I did these things called case competitions, which was a program specifically to communicate for communication. We're like and we had the world's largest one. So there's like 80 people in it. So I had a ton of people to practice speaking. Oh, wow. And that's why I got really good really quickly because I coached all of those people, right, for free after. And that's how I built up my skill set to coach everybody else. So so that doesn't make sense because you, you nobody can join a case competition program. So so there's different ways I'd approach this. Number 1, for especially for people listening who have children or nieces and nephews, do make them the practice schedule. So do this with your family. Like if you have a 5-year-old kid, do the random word exercise with them. It's just instead of them watching TV, play the random word as if it's a game. So when you integrate it in your family life, it doesn't feel like practice anymore. So that would be the the first way you can do this. The second one is a friendship group like you guys can do this together but I'm sure you meant for the people listening to this. So it could be like a Toastmasters club, finding mm-hmm. a little club where there's proximity. Toastmasters isn't that expensive. It's like 200 bucks a year and then you could meet like different people who share the same interests as you and you could work on it. The third one is obviously to pay for the accountability, right? To hire a coach like me and then that accountability is built in where I'm the one yelling at you to get the job done. But it depends, right? Not everybody can spend thousands of dollars on somebody like me. So if you can't, you're not in that situation. Just find families or integrate not don't find different families, sorry. <laughs> practice with your own practice with your own family. and find a toastmasters group. I mean, people can't say they don't have 20 bucks a month to spend on like a toastmasters group. But then yeah. if you're more of like a higher level executive, I'd say just hire a coach like me cuz just faster and you already get curated with a bunch of high level people and the practice is a lot more efficient. By the way, Brendan, I want to disagree with you on one point when you mentioned Please, that that's you what were, you're saying. That uh when you say that you were lucky, 
You've you said that like uh, maybe a few times now in this uh, on this podcast, and I disagree with you. I don't think you were lucky. I think you consciously put yourself in a situations that provided you with the opportunities that you got. So, for example, in the competition that you were in, where you met the the, the person that you could, you know, learn from, and they can learn from you. It's because you put yourself in that tournament, and then that gave you opportunities to recognize potential of other people who could also be in the same situation as you. And that is like something important, which is recognizing potential if you want to build a strong core team. And that's how I, that's why I don't believe you were lucky. I believe you were just making the right decisions. And and I also tend to agree with that too, Said. I think a good way to bridge both of our perspectives is the Microsoft's president, one old president, he said this in a, in a book by Alex Benayan called The Third Door. And in the book, he says that luck is like a bus where you're standing in front of the bus stop and the bus comes to pick you up. But if you don't have the money to get on the bus, you can't go for the ride. But that's the problem. A lot of us, we get lucky in our life. But if we if we don't have the fear to get on the bus, we don't get the results. So so yes, was I lucky? But the fact that I was born in a first world country, that I just so happened to go to a university that had a, the world's largest case competition program, that I just so happened to go to that specific event where they told me to do these things to get a job. Yes, but it wasn't entirely luck because I also worked my ass off and put a lot of time in to, to make those opportunities happen. So it's definitely both. Wow, I'm curious about um, more on that. Do you write, Brendan, often? Do you journal? Um, I'm curious about, yeah, like your talks with yourselves, your conversations with yourselves. Um, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, they're really dark. No, <laughs> so, the, so the so I do journal a lot. I'll show you guys. It's just the difference between my journaling and most people's journaling is I actually do all my journaling almost exclusively on my phone. So you'll mm. notice here there's a bunch of notes and it'll never stop. I could scroll forever. And then I just use um, the search engine to look up the notes that I want. The reason I do it this mm. way is because when I used to journal with, uh, with a piece of paper, like a notebook, I'd always lose it. Mm. <laughs> or I wouldn't, or if I didn't lose it, I'd be too lazy to revisit it. So let's say I invest a few thousand in like a leadership development conference and I tend to get all these notes. Oh my God, this is so good. And I don't look at the book again. Whereas let's say me and let's say me and you, Ali and Saeed, to keep to keep make this inclusive, let's say we're all having lunch in LA or something. And you're like, hey, Brendan, you went to an event six months ago. What was your big takeaway? Mm. If I if I took my notes by hand, I would have a lot of trouble remembering remembering ah saeed uh, ali i don't remember guys but if i have my phone which i always do oh six months ago boom tony robin summer all the notes appear so i'm kind of like a cyborg where i can i can just tap into to old things that i used to do so yeah i do a lot of journaling and there's a specific thing i do with journaling that most human beings do not and i think that's why i found a lot of success yeah, I know you're curious. Find out next time. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> find out next time on the Ali Saeed show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On the Double A show or A2. Anyways. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's another, there's another show behind a Patreon page called Triple A for it's a different set of batteries. <laughs> anyways, so for, the, so for the tip, the tip is really simple, guys. 
ask yourself one hard question about life every single day. Every single day. The problem with us as human beings is we do not reflect on the hard things. Let me give you an example. One of those questions is, if you could only accomplish three things in your life, just three things, nothing else, what would you want to accomplish and why? And a lot of people don't have a good answer to that question. They go, oh, only three things? Uh -uh." And this forces you to really focus on what matters. That's one. Another question is, if you had all the money in the world, excuse me, if you had all the money in the world, how would you spend your time? So I ask this question to so many people. And they go, I'll travel. And I go, cool. How long are you going to travel for? Seven years and then die? They go, no. I was like, exactly. So what are you going to do with your time? And a lot of people don't know the answer to that question either. And then the third one that I got from Devon Bandison, what's a goal or a dream that you secretly gave up on and never told anyone about? So if you ask just one of these questions every day for a year, you'll even a month, you'll be a completely different human being. It's just most people aren't willing to ask those questions. Wow. Mm-hmm. Great questions. Do you feel like um, people maybe might be afraid to actually go deep into their personal thoughts? I feel like, yeah, actually, that's the question. Let's stick to that. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to think so, Saeed. And, but I don't think it's necessarily because people are dumb or because people are bad or because they, they don't have the intelligence. I think it's because it's really hard to fight our own psychology because our brain is wired for survival. I mean, we all know it, mm-hmm. but it's not wired for happiness because we've been wired from generation after generation to get to this mm-hmm. point. But the, there's also a double-edged sword to that. And the, the double-edged sword to that problem set is that if, if you're wired to survive, the last thing you want to do is to look within. Because if you look within, you'll realize you're actually very different from everyone else. But if you try to be different than everyone else, like what happened million, not maybe not millions of years ago, but let's say tens of thousands of years ago, you get removed from the tribe and you die. Whereas yeah. today, you don't die. It's more like, if I'm different... Yeah, Ali might say, I don't want to spend time with you. You're too different from me. You're do- you don't belong in the tribe. You don't go to the same football games as me. You don't do- Obviously, Ali is not like that, but just as an example, right? So, yeah. so, we, so as human beings, part of us actually doesn't want to know the truth. We go like, no, I want to copy what other people want Ooh. me to do so that I can fit in. There's actually an interesting theory. This is as smart as I get, guys. I don't, I don't go past this. <laughs> by, by, a, by, by a French philosopher. So that's why I'm going to sound fancy once on the show, called uh, René Girard. So René Girard is like a French philosopher. And he has this theory called mimetic theory, which basically argues that as human beings, we don't actually have desires. We tend to copy other people and what they desire because we don't actually know what we want in life. So, for example, why do I go to college? Because Ali went to college. Why do I mm-hmm. want to have kids? Because Saeed had kids. Why do I want to get married? Because everyone else is getting married. So because we don't have innate desires, we tend to just copy what everyone else is doing. And mm-hmm. that creates a lot of problems. So going back to your point, Saeed, I, th- I think that's why a lot of people choose not to look within. No, I completely agree with that point. Wow. And Great question, is, Saeed. It is definitely like, it is completely true because people tend to just want to, I think they, the reason why they want to stick within their communities and these social groups that they don't want to get removed from is, is goes back to their, like the, the tribes that you were mentioning. It goes back to how their ancestors used to think. It's the survival instinct that's 
been like reinforced in us. It's where that you have to find the community, just emulate what they do, stick to them, and you and you'll survive. Instead of thinking maybe I can do it by myself a bit. Instead of combining both, you know, like being your own self and trying to find a community that works that accepts your own self. People want to just join any common group just so that they can, you know, fit in. And I think they just stick to the biggest groups, like with the, like, obviously the most basic common traits. So let's say sports, for example, it's like, is every, do you actually believe every football fan is in love with football just because they, that's what they want? That's what they want. They just want football in their lives. Or is it because maybe they had a connection with it, with someone else through them? You know, it could be your parents, it could be your friends. They're just, and that's how you connect with them. I I mean, you 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 explain that so well, Said. I completely agree. That's exactly the point, right? Why do we watch football? Oh, because I grew up watching football with my dad. But if it was hockey, they would have fell in love with hockey instead, right? So So that's the key. That's why, actually, I have a real, an Instagram reel I made on this a few weeks ago where I argue that if you if if you write down your list of desires and they're the same as everyone else's you are not truly free because you desire the same things as everyone else so the only time i believe someone has freedom is if they have what i call unique desires so i'll give an example is me i want to be the best communication coach that ever lived that's such a weird thing to want like nobody gives a shit about that like who cares about that? So if you have something that you desire that most people go, that's odd. Why would I want that? Then, then you're free. Then you're a free person. Wow, that's that's such a nice point. I I love it. This podcast like, is reaching high resonance, high frequency. We're. we're I think we lived great. up to your uh, your sh- your motivational speech at the beginning. <laughs> I, Ali set the standard for us from the beginning. We just and that we just followed right. through. <laughs> yeah, the best podcast has just been created. I guess. <laughs> um, I like to journal. I have it all here in a notebook. I carry notebooks. I like because. A lot of, I love my phone and I think it's smart what you do. And I know a lot of people that journal on their phones, but I just try to separate my thinking from tech. That's just the, that's just the only reason for, for me why I don't do it. Um, because tech is all over now and it's everywhere. And um, my question is, what do you think about ChatGPT for speech writing? Ah, interesting. Yeah. Chat GPT for speech writing. Here here's my here's my kind of overall. I'm a I'm a fan of Chat GPT. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of great use cases behind behind the AI tech where it allows you to make your life more efficient. Here here's and even speech writing. I mean I think I think you could use you could use Chat GPT to, to write great speeches, for sure. But I think the the challenge becomes Chat GPT is not the person delivering the talk. It's you, right? Nobody really cares about hearing a chat GPT speak. No one's going to pay thousands of dollars to hear what chat GPT, like they're not going to bring chat GPT into, into their Dallas office or in Texas <laughs> and go, Hey, come speak to my audience of 3000 people. 
and that's where the problem lies. So if we if we rely too much on ChatGPT to to find our answers, to find our content, a lot of people are using ChatGPT for content creation. People have asked me what I thought about that too. Once again, I'm not I'm not disagreeing. It's true. It's more efficient. But the problem is ChatGPT isn't the person because it's not a person. Is not is not the thing answering questions on a podcast like this. Like think about it like this: if if all of my YouTube videos were written by ChatGPT, which I will ne- neither confirm nor deny, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I came, and I and I came to a, a a podcast conversation like this, and you ask me a question about speaking, but I go, uh, 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 I don't know. My credibility goes into the toilet. You go, wait a second, like Brendan's a sham. So I think the same thing applies for, for my industry, for public speaking specifically. So yes, can you should you leverage ChatGPT? Of course you should. Like I, I've leveraged it once or twice, and I should do it more often, honestly, for content ideas. So it's not like ChatGPT write me this content piece, but more like what are some ideas of videos you think I should be writing about? And then I look at the list and I go, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good. But the reason I create the IP even if it takes me way longer, is so that I'm actually an expert. So that when people actually pay me money to coach them or show up on, on a podcast like this, or not, you know what I mean, like just to show mm-hmm. up on a stage, <laughs> like I can, I can come with the same level of credibility. So the expectation you have for me on social media maybe is not the same, but at least close enough where you go, oh yeah, he's definitely an expert. And then you have the full stack credibility, which ChatGPT will not provide for anyone who who just knows how to put in prompts into an AI algo. So you, you would say that ChatGPT probably lacks the complete package of quality to be providing to educate the masses? So so I think it's more like, I, I think there's a lot of great knowledge on ChatGPT, but it just lacks the human and human being. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, you're not, you're not going to spend, the, this is the thing. I don't hate ChatGPT. I think it's here to stay. Like, so we have to adapt. But the point I want to drive is like, None of us on this podcast today are going to spend $2,000 to go to a conference, sit on a chair, and take notes for a ChatGPT conference given by ChatGPT. Like, none of us are going to do that. You'll, you'll spend $2,000 to go learn from Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. And that's that thing that's missing is, like, when there's no human in the in – the, I, I actually think – and this is kind of one of my counterintuitive points – I actually think the human being themselves, even if they are imperfect, is actually a necessary part of the learning experience in any skill. And I'll tell you why. The reason is because let's say you want to be a, a fitness, like you want to you want to learn how to lose weight, you want to exercise more often, something like that. Can you go on ChatGPT and optimize the perfect diet plan? Of course. I mean, maybe not perfect yet, but in 20 years, probably. Right, but will you still implement the diet plan if you don't have the if you don't have the human being saying, "Hey, Brendan, like, did you do it this week?" And you know, and you know, it's a real human being. There's just that level of accountability where we feel we're letting that person down, and that pushes us to get to a new level of result that AI cannot replicate. Even if the AI sounds like us, if the human being knows that it's an AI, they treat that AI differently than if it was a real human being. And I don't think that can ever be replaced personally. Does wow, that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. yeah but who knows? Yeah. I'll be wrong. Let's see. We, I think we still have a lot of time for to be proven <laughs> yeah, wrong see. about AI. And yeah. I com- I agree wholeheartedly on that point. They, they don't, they can't replicate the emotions that 
other humans can share with each other. Um, yeah, like hugs. Exactly. <laughs> hugs, showing empathy, you know, being sad, angry. Tickling crying. your belly. <laughs> yeah, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I do that with my clients all the time. I go like, <laughs> like what are you doing, Brendan? I was like, did you do the random word exercise today? They're like, shit. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do that shit. I guess it works. It does. You know, so it's funny it you depends. say that, Brendan. I'm, I'm like teaching like, um, like mega, mega young kids how to speak too who don't know how to speak. And one of the tips is you you want to teach them to vocalize and if they don't know how to vocalize, you tickle their belly. <laughs> I, I did not know that actually. You give them a you give them a reward, and then they learn that oh, I can like they want me to vocalize, and that's how they learn how to speak. <laughs> all stems from I'm not joking, and it works. It's like that uh, actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, too. Mm-hmm. it's something I learned. Wow, this has been some of the most epic thoughts ever transmitted throughout the world. Through our brains, believe, through our audience brains. I can't believe we made it brains. happen. I mean. I, I mean, something ask... happened today. <laughs> I want to ask you, Brendan. Um, I want to ask you the questions that you said you wanted to journal about. I'm curious how you'd answer them. So what are the three things um, you would love to do in your life if you could only focus on three things? If you had infinite money, what would you do? And what's one path you started but did not complete? Wow. Okay. Usually people don't ask me the questions back, which I, which I love. So happy to answer them as an example. So the first one, which is what are the three things that I'd want to accomplish before I die? I've thought about this question for a long time and Mm -hmm. I think I have the best version so far, but I think that's the message is I'm still iterating. I'm still thinking about the same questions. So number one is TBCCTEL, which stands for the best communication coach that ever lived. You know, I, I honestly think I'm, I'm one of the, I think that I'm the best who's ever lived and I need to make sure that by the end of my life that people, and, and it's, and I got lucky that I was born in this time period of history because when Dale Carnegie was alive, yeah, he was the goat right at the time. And he still is to this day. But the problem is he wasn't born in an era with color, with video with podcasting, with YouTube channels. So we don't really get to know him as the person. Whereas what's interesting about, I mean, all three of us, not just me, is that after I'm gone, people can study me. My, my parents, not my parents, my sons, grandsons, 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 granddaughter, whatever, can study me forever. And I think that's really interesting because you get a full 100% HD perspective on, on who I was and how I lived. And that's a really interesting opportunity that I, that I, that I take very seriously. So that's right. one to be TBCCTEL. The second thing is to have uh, to have a wife and kids. I think having a family is is something I definitely want. I just don't want it in this season of life cuz I'm 27. I want to I want to really push my goals of communication further so that when I start dating girls and then pick the one that I want to end up being with, I don't want to have the same stress that my parents did in raising us cuz I didn't grow up with a lot. My parents were factory workers and whatnot, and kids are a big expense. So I want to make sure that by the time I have them that I really want them and I and it won't cause any severe changes in our economic situation. So that's number two. And number three is to make my cousins multimillionaires. So I already know I'm going to be pretty successful financially. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful. I've already had some success already pretty early in my career. But I think what Patrick but David taught me, which is so powerful, is you should never pass down generational wealth unless you want to. But more importantly, you need to pass down generational habits. 
Because if you teach somebody how to use index funds and you just sit people down, which I can't do for the world because I'm focused on communication, well, at least I can go to the seven cousins that are that I love the most and sit them down and go like, this is how you're going to invest your money. This is why you shouldn't talk to a financial advisor. They're going to take 2% of all your money. Instead, do it like this, 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 this. And that that is the third thing. You know, what's interesting on how I changed my answer recently, guys, is before the third thing was to for me to have a net worth of whatever, put any number, the $100 million, $50 million. And I changed it because I was like, who cares? Like, that doesn't matter, right? I think it's more important that my whole family is wealthy through their own merits so that they teach the right generate the right habits so that we're not poor anymore as a, as a community. And I think that's the that's the third thing. Wow. Um, that's, that's amazing. Like the fact that you just want to share it all instead of just keeping it for yourself. I oh, I'm keeping it for myself. So I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just not keeping the knowledge to myself, but like yeah. the money I'm yeah. keeping. I'm not passing any of the money to my kids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, and you shouldn't because then that would defeat the purpose of them making their own decisions. Yeah, yeah, 100%. There's, there's a great quote from Alex Hermosi. He uses a, a card in a, in, a, in a trading game called Magic the Gathering. And in Magic, there's a, there's a card called the Burning Wish. And the card description on it reads, she, she wished for – oh, crap. Oh, yeah, exactly. She wished for the weapon but not the strength to wield it. So a lot of us in our life, we wish for the weapon – the money, the fame, the fortune, but we don't we don't wish for the strength to wield it. What type of person do I need to be to wield that type of energy? And that's and you guys can Google this. That's why 70% of people of fam generational wealth gets lost in two generations. Because you 100%. pass it down to Yeah. And you could look it up. It's really fascinating. So yeah. No, no, hundred percent sorry if I just like made an outburst because like you no, no, no. I, I love the quote about you know how uh, there's this quote where so tough men make easy times, but easy times make easy, uh, like weak men. Weak men, weak men make tough times, and then tough times, you know. Like I, I, I keep man. forgetting the whole quote, but I yeah, it's a long one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> but I completely understand the cycle, and I feel like this is ex like to do to escape this cycle. You have to not pass on just your generational wealth. You have to pass on the knowledge of how to make it. Don't give your money away to your kids. Like, let them do it themselves. Let, like, mm. put them in economy class, bro. When you're in first class, sipping your martini and just like enjoying your time. When you're driving, like, when you're just going out into a fancy, just restaurant, put them in don't... the trunk. When you're driving, leave your kids in the trunk, bro. They and don't then... sit. They don't sit in the back seat. They sit in the <laughs> trunk. But it's like on the spare tire. I don't care. They're not. <laughs> but no, in <laughs> in complete honesty, I yeah, it's, this is. They have to be taught and not just handed down stuff. That's the key. If you had all the money in the world, what would you do with it? I love it, man. I love it. You're persistent, which I appreciate. So the, <laughs> the next question is, um, if I had all the money in the world, how would I spend my time? The simple answer, guys, is what we're doing right now. So the problem was three years ago, I wasn't living to the, to the extent of that question which I was in a great corporate job. Don't get me wrong. IBM was great to me. I was making a lot of good money, you know, probably 80, 90 grand a year as a technology consultant. I was providing for my family. It's really cheap to live in Montreal. So that was enough for all of us. But when I looked at that question that I asked myself a lot, Ali, I wasn't spending my time effectively. 
Because I would sit in like an hour meeting and I, I was like leading maybe two, two, two technology implementations at the same time. So I was working like 70, 80 hours a week sometimes. And I was just thinking, I'm in this meeting getting technical requirements and all this jazz. And I'm going, why am I in this meeting? Like, shouldn't somebody else be in this <laughs> meeting? Whereas like this conversation, only I can have it with you guys for, for this episode. So no one can replace right. me for this podcast, but somebody else mm -hmm. can do the tech implementation. So I really started to ask myself, like, how am I spending my time? And, and today I still apply that question, except now it's more in the minutia. So it's not the, the big picture of, holy shit, like I should quit my job and do public speaking coaching because I love what I do. Like coaching is super fun. And you even know, like you can tell how much I enjoy podcasting. Like you, you guys probably thought I was a little stiff because of the YouTube channel. Oh, this guy going to be a good fit for the show. Like, and then I come <laughs> on, I'm like super chill. Right. So like, I, I have a lot of fun with this, but for me, the answer is a lot more, it's more boring now, which is like, okay, when my business scales, I don't want to do sales calls anymore. I'd rather take less money and have somebody else deal with that. Cause I don't like talking to people who aren't committed. Because I have to go through like three of them who aren't committed, but listen to their problems in their life to get to one, the fourth person who is like, I'm ready to do this. Brendan, you're my inspiration. Like, uh, I'm ready to write the check. Let's do it. So I don't, I'm not against sales. It, it's what makes me money. And I've, I'm not bad at it. I'm not the best at it, but I'm not the worst either. But, you know, like that's, that's how I'd spend my time differently. Hire somebody else to do that for me when the business gets to a big enough size where I'm comfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. But the big answer to that question, Ali, was really... I need to quit my job. I'm not spending my time effectively to serve the world, especially when I got – and this is luck, Saeed. I'll take this as luck, honestly, where it just turns out that the thing that I'm really gifted at just pays a lot of money. Like that's not something I could have controlled. Like there's a – like one of my best buddies who made my logo actually, he's, a, he's like a – I'm not going to say famous, but he's like a pretty well-known painter. But the reason he blew up was because of TikTok. But painting doesn't pay a lot of money. It's because he built a reputation and he kept pushing at it that he does well financially now. But, but I got lucky that uh, my skill set is easy to monetize. So that would be my answer to the question. I would still disagree about the luck part. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. But, but you, you'll admit that it's harder. Like it's way harder yeah. to build a six, seven figure business off of painting than public speaking. Co public speaking coach is way so, easier. So the thing, the thing is, uh, Brendan, you, you said it already. You identified your unique traits when you quit your job and followed this passion. And every person, every individual, obviously not everyone can emulate the same like skill set that you have because they're just different people and they most probably can make some can make a lot of money maybe in a different field so it's 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 not about you know being lucky or trying to do something and then it's like not working out it's more of just like finding what makes you unique and this is something you already mentioned also on the podcast is like finding your unique personality skill set combining all of these traits and then just promoting it. It's like sharing it with people. Find a way to share your uniqueness with others and you can become successful. Fair enough. We'll agree to disagree today. <laughs> <laughs> right. And Brendan, what's something you started and didn't finish? Yeah, what's what's a goal or a dream that I secretly gave up on? So so for me it was honestly, I'm lucky here. I'm mean, not lucky, sorry, he's gonna so he's gonna hate me. <laughs> I was really unlucky. 
<laughs> no, no I'll, so, I'll, so, I'll let you. <laughs> I'll give it to you. So for the, for the story, no, I mean, I'm grateful. Let me change the word. I'm grateful that my answer to this question isn't too bad. Where it's like, I actually ended up pursuing what I wanted to do. Like, I really wanted to do communication coaching, and I do it now full time, and my life's a bliss. But what I, what I do share to that answer, that because I, I had to dig a little bit more, was when I was 12, I had a dream to be a stand-up comedian. That was like one of my dreams because Russell Peters was like my hero. He's like the stand-up comedian, he's an Indian guy. But then I watched him on an episode of MTV Cribs and I saw his lifestyle. And at the end of the episode, I was like, there's no way in hell I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. Like, this is crazy. And then I changed <laughs> careers and I chose to be an accountant. And then I later found communication coaching. So that's my answer to the question. But for other people, the answer to the question is going to be a lot more. It's going to hit them more in the gut. It's going to be like, oh, like, what's the goal? Well, you know, I always wanted to be an actor and then I became an accountant instead or something. So I encourage people. Like, I genuinely don't want to be a stand-up comedian anymore. I might do it once or twice for fun, but I just, I, I don't want to do that. But three years ago, that question was, the answer was, hey, why am I still a technology consultant? I should really be a communication coach. And that's really the key. Wow. The side, any last I'm, questions I'm just... before we wrap up here? I think I've I've asked enough questions at this point because um, I've I caught, but I've th I've thoroughly enjoyed this whole <laughs> podcast and I completely resonate with Brent, with Brendan's points a lot, you know. Obviously, except the lucky being lucky, but yeah, other than that, it's all good. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I worked I worked my ass off to be here. There's exactly. No, there's no denying it. There's no mm -hmm. denying it. I mean, I I practiced like 400 times in in college. I coach 60 people for free before somebody already charged. I've guessed on 500 podcasts. Like, there's clearly output here. But but yeah. I always like to bring the luck piece, too, because without it, like, I don't think everything comes together. But, but yes, the hard work is a big, big piece of that for sure. Yeah. Wow. You heard it here, folks. Brendan, you started off with not so much. You were on a completely different life path. And then you just worked hard and you built your skills and you kept building your skills and working hard. And then you manifested Master Talk. How incredible. And then hundreds of podcasts later, here you are. And here and we hopefully, are. And hopefully this <laughs> is going to be the best podcast that you've ever been on. I and mean, you guys are gonna definitely up. top five. You guys are definitely top five. Yeah. That was, that was <laughs> we'll, ta we'll take it. We'll take it. We're, we'll we're elevating. It. We're going there. <laughs> This has been A right. to the Show with Brendan from Master Talk, guys. Thank you for, for watching. Peace out. Ciao. Out of here.